So a tire gauge is a tool that measures air pressure, uh, tells you how much air is in your tire. Sometimes I've looked at my tires and I've thought, uh-oh, you know, they look a little low. But then I get out my gauge and th they're just fine. The, the pressure, you know, is just my eyes or, you know, just looked a little flat. But other times I thought my tires were fine and checked it and they're a little low. They needed some air. If no one pays attention to your tires, they will inevitably get flat. Um, you need to measure them, keep an eye on them, or have someone else do that. And in the same way that we use a tire gauge to prevent being stuck on the side of the road or having low tires, we need to be aware of our goodness gauge. The way that we measure goodness, that needs to be calibrated well so that we know what seems good to us and we know what is objectively good. Because otherwise, we'll end up like King Solomon. Last week, we looked at him briefly. He wasted large portions of his life chasing the wind. And if we don't pay attention to what we think is good, we also will be misled and, and waste part of our lives. Last week, I read a Time Magazine article on Rachel Hollis. Women, ladies, do you know? Have you heard of Rachel Hollis? She wrote that book, Girl, Wash Your Face, which is the second most popular book on Amazon last year. She's a self-help guru, and she's basically telling how you can live your best life. And I'm not, I'm not trying to pick on Rachel. Uh, I don't know everything she said. I just read a Time article and did a little extra research on her. And what, what I found is it's not all true. It's not all false. Uh, but here's what we need to know about self-help. Ultimately, it's not going to provide the help that we need um, because we are our problem. <laughs> so we are not the solution. And I, I found myself thinking, you know, what if Rachel Hollis came here, which is unlikely, but what if her Instagram or her followers came here? Much more likely. What, I, I want to be really clear. What should we do with people like Rachel Hollis or her followers, if they are in our lives. Engage them with Jesus is my prayer and, and my hope that that's what we would do. We would invite them into discipleship under Jesus and not discard them as, oh, they're not interested or they're not the type. Because um, if they're not interested in discipleship, they're going to find the door themselves. But as they walk out, we're to be loving them and praying for them to walk back in and soon. So all that to say, Rachel Hollis sure seems to be teaching women how to live their best life. And the question of what is the good life and how we calibrate our goodness gauge, if you will, because we all have one, you know, what seems good to us? How good is that? Those are very important questions. And that's how Jesus started his Sermon on the Mount, asking and answering the question, who is truly well off? So let's read the opening of Jesus' sermon. And we're going to just kind of read the, the bigger context, uh, the first 16 verses, and then we'll kind of dive into our passage. So, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, 
for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. If, if you're new with us, uh, this is part of our study of the Gospel of Matthew. And we, we flew through the first four chapters kind of in flyover mode with the intention, I said this at the beginning, we're going to slow down. And I just want us to sit at Jesus' feet and learn from him in this brilliant Sermon on the Mount teaching. And today, we're going to cover the second half of the Beatitudes, the second part. Um, last week, the first uh, was covered. So before we do that, I, I want to remind you, though, of the last thing Jesus said the last thing Matthew records before the sermon is repent for the kingdom of heavens of the heavens the kingdom of heaven is at hand Jesus proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom Matthew tells us and that is crucial context because when we start diving into little sections of scripture it's easy to kind of miss the context um, and I just think it's so crucial because Jesus starts it he starts the Beatitudes section and he ends it with, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. So he's not really, you know, he's, he's tying these things together. It's, it's not really something new. Um, and we're going to see that again today as we finish the Beatitudes section. So I want to I read again verses 8 through 12 so we can kind of focus in on this. Beginning in verse 8, Jesus taught, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So uh, last week, I spent some time, a, a lot of time actually in the sermon, unpacking how some theologians, whom, whom I respect, uh, say that these beatitudes are ideals, meaning they're things to do. They're, they're, they're things that we are to strive after. And, and some of them are, but I believe that Jesus is casting a vision for how well off we are in the kingdom. And so I, I respectfully disagree with their interpretation of those verses. Again, I, I, I respect these guys. And, and I invited you last week, like, you guys should decide what you believe Jesus is teaching here and what, what it means. Um, 
because his whole intent in the sermon is that we'd become people who actually do the things that he taught. So we kind of have to understand what he taught before we do them. Um, but I, what, what I was promoting was that uh, Jesus is saying he's taking people in undesirable situations and calling them blessed, not because they're in undesirable, hard situations, but because they're in the kingdom. He's talking to his disciples and he's saying, as my disciple, you are the one with the truly good life. You're the one who's well off. And so let's look at our uh, Beatitudes, if you will, today as, as examples. Um, when he says, blessed are the pure in heart, those are innocent people, people who have no hidden agenda. And in a dog-eat-dog world that we live in, in a broken, fallen world, um, those people are very easily manipulated, easily taken advantage of by other people who have hidden agendas and are not innocent. A peacemaker, again, the scriptures call us to be a peacemaker in other places, but in this context, um, it, it sure seems like they're not at an advantage in the eyes of the world because if you're a peacemaker, you're trying to not fight someone who wants to fight. <laughs> uh, that's a difficult position to be in. Um, persecuted and insulted, uh, say all kinds of evil falsely against you, that's being harassed and afflicted because of righteousness and as Jesus says, because of him, because of me. And that, that doesn't feel good. And so, again, here's my caveat. If you disagree with me on this and you want to just pursue these things directly, uh, that's fine. Um, if you want more of a robust explanation, listen to last week's uh, message on, online. But if you disagree with me, that's okay. But what I'm advocating for is an indirect approach to doing this. So here's, here's examples. Rather than saying, I will be pure in heart, I'm advocating that we accept our blessedness in the king and in his kingdom. His heart is pure. And as we accept our blessedness, that we are well off in Jesus, we will become increasingly pure in heart. Rather than saying, I will be, I resolve to be a peacemaker, kind of a you know, self-help maybe mindset, uh, you accept your blessedness being in Jesus' kingdom. He is the ultimate peacemaker. And as you become more and more like him, you become more of a peacemaker yourself. It's indirect, not, not direct. So rather than planning, how can I be insulted and persecuted? I'm supposed to do what Jesus said. How can I? Well, I've got some ideas for you. <laughs> no, no. Um, rather than doing it directly, you love Jesus so much that even when it gets you into trouble, you think it's worth it. You think he is worth it. You don't go looking for trouble, but you go following Jesus. And I heard a great story this past week of uh, a woman who mocked someone who was talking with her about their church. She was not a believer and she mocked the, the church's name. Then later on, her life hit, hit rock bottom and she remembered the name from her mocking. She remembered that church's name, and she came. And she met Christ and chose to follow him. And that is a great example of indirection, indirection rather than you know, saying, be, be persecuted, be reviled. 
No, it's, it's love Jesus no matter the cost. So again, if you want to pursue these directly, go ahead. That's fine. I'm not going to stop you. But I do want to warn you, none of these promises, none of these promises are earned. Meaning, you don't see God because you're so pure in heart. You're not called a child of God because you're such a good peacemaker. You don't have the kingdom of God because you've been insulted or persecuted enough. It's not a matter of earning. Grace is opposed to earning. So as I promote this second approach, this indirect approach of embracing, just embrace your blessedness being in the kingdom, I think you should expect that this, these things will start happening. We actually start living this way because we see how well off we are. We see how good of a life it is to live in the kingdom of God. And once we see how good it is, I mean, we all just move towards what seems good to us. And Jesus wants us to move towards obeying him. Again, that's how the sermon ends, that we would be people who hear and put into practice what he says. But he wants us to be truly convinced this is what's best. Not just, oh yeah, I should do it because Jesus said. No, he knows the truly good life. And so he describes, at the start of this sermon, he describes how good the kingdom is before moving on to commands of what to do. So we're going to talk a little grammar now, right? All the English nerds are like, grammar, grammar, slow chant. No, I'm joking. Um, but we are going to talk grammar. And, and here's, here, here it is. An indicative, an indicative sentence is a statement of fact. Am I right, grammar people? Yes. I looked it up on Google. I was double checking. <laughs> I'm right. An imperative is a command. It's saying, do this right? Uh, this relationship between indicatives and imperatives is found throughout scripture, especially the New Testament. I just want to show you a few. Romans 6 is our first example. The statement of fact that Paul says is the death that Christ died, Christ died to sin. The life that he lives, his resurrected life, he lives to God. Then that's statement of fact. Then the command. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin. That's, that's, that's command, right? Statement of fact first. Then the command to us. You consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey the, its passions. Rather, consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Colossians 3. Uh, if, you're, if you're looking for like a chapter of the Bible to memorize, Colossians 3 is a great one. Start at verse 1. It says, since then you've been raised with Christ. Statement of fact, indicative statement. You've been raised with Christ. That's a fact as a believer, as his disciple. Then there's a command. Since you've been raised, set your eyes and your mind on things above. He goes on in verse 3. He says, statement of fact, in Christ you died. But then a command in verse 5. Therefore put to death the sinful nature. So these, these gospel facts impact how we act. And, and you can see 
in the book of Galatians, if you're, if, you're, if you're looking for a good Bible study, just go through Galatians and mark, mark indicatives and imperatives and look at their relationship if you're looking for Bible study options. Um, so it, it's all over. 29 indicatives is what, well, you, you can count your own, but that, that's what someone else found. I, I just saw, and then 13 imperatives. So in my research, but, but here's, here's why it matters. Here's the application. Even if you don't do the Bible study or the scripture memory, no matter if you're a believer or not, whatever we consider fact impacts how we act. What you consider fact, that is reality. That will shape your action. That will shape your life. And so the Christian life is not just a set of rules, which is imperative statements, nor is it statements of fact that it's like, do you, do you think this? Do you think this? Do you believe this? It's, it's not just a statement of facts either. The gospel is an announcement. But the announcement impacts everything. So what you consider fact impacts how you act. And then you can look at your acts and say, okay, do my acts really reveal what I say are my facts? It kind of goes both ways. Faith in Christ alone is what saves us, but faith that saves us, it's, it's never alone. It, it's always fleshed out in action. So all that to say, back to the Sermon on the Mount, our passage today. Are those indicatives, are those indicatives or imperatives? Blessed are the fill in the blank. They will be dot, dot, dot. Those are indicative sentences. Those are statements of fact. With one exception, at the end, rejoice and be glad. Which is like saying, agree that you're blessed. The fact is, no matter what circumstance you find yourself in, the kingdom of God is available to you there. And if you're living in the kingdom, you're blessed. You're the one with the good life. You're well off. So again, please don't hear that you're blessed because you're in a bad, undesirable position or circumstance. It means, as a follower of King Jesus, your life is more than your circumstances. Your circumstances don't rule your life. They don't have to be your king. King Jesus rules your life, and he is good. Therefore, you're blessed. The kingdom is what makes all the difference. And we need to contemplate the facts of the gospel, the finished work of Christ, that reality. And as we think about that, that, that moves us to act, to finish our race and our work well. Because if you just keep trying to muster up energy and self-willpower to do better without connecting to the one who is best, his life that is the best, you're going to end up frustrated. And, and we're all going to spend time in frustration, uh, but we don't need to like set up camp there and live there. Repent. Ch- keep changing your mind. Keep turning to God because the kingdom is at hand and the kingdom makes all the difference. So last week, I I looked at one clarification, uh, which was emotions. Like, how do we deal with our emotions in the midst of this? You know, like, Jesus is saying, the fact is I'm blessed as his follower, but I don't feel blessed. Like, my emotions are telling me a strong and very different story. And so we looked at that clarification last week, because I just think people, I get hung up. And I think lots of people get hung up on, okay, how do I live that? And emotions just get in the way. So here's another clarification we're going to look at this week is uh, life in the kingdom is already not yet. 
that that's that's the nature of the kingdom right now it is already here but it's not yet fully consummated it's not yet complete as it will be and so I just share this to say, shape your expectation. This should help shape our expectation for what the good life looks like right now. And uh, if, if you are a person or you're around other people who say they have no expectations, um, you just don't know what your expectations are. Uh, we all have expectations. So here's more grammar to show where this is from the text. Um, if you look at the Beatitudes, uh, there's two that are in the present tense, which, I mean, the word is. Look for the word is in your text. And then look for the future tense, the words will be, right? Jesus starts with blessed uh, is the poor in spirit. No, bless, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is. Look in the promises. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then there is will be, will be, will be, will be, will be, will be. Verse 10, blessed, blessed are the, hold on, those who are persecuted because of righteousness for my sake, because theirs is the kingdom. Both times, he says, is the kingdom. Everything in between is will be. And what he's communicating is the kingdom is here. You are blessed in the kingdom. But also, when you're mourning, you will be comforted, and you will be comforted in part now, but really the, the fullness of the kingdom comes later. When Christ returns, uh, the kingdom is fully consummated. Um, and, and so all that to say, this should shape our expectation of the good life. Uh, so if you're mourning, or if you're not feeling blessed, don't expect to say, I'm blessed because I'm in the kingdom. And all of a sudden you're better. That's self-help. That's positive thinking type of attitude. And it's just a bad expectation. And, and bad expectations result in frustration. But the gospel sets us up for healthy expectations. It sets us up for human flourishing. Not self-talk or positive thinking, but truth. That we're well off because Jesus lived a perfect life. He took our punishment on the cross. He rose again. He's alive. His life is full of goodness, and we're well off because our life is now united with him. The penalty's been paid, the power of sin's been defeated, and one day the presence of sin will be done away with. So it's an already not yet life of goodness. We should expect that. And un unmet expectations will result in frustration. But if we believe that we flourish in the kingdom, the good life is found in God's kingdom, both now and in the future, you're, we're just going to move towards it. We're going to move towards what seems good to us right now and in the future. So how? How can we do that? How can we learn to live there? How, going back to the tire gauge, how can you calibrate or make sure that your goodness gauge <laughs> is in line with reality so that you're not, you know, like, you know, uh, trying to measure your tire's air pressure? And it's like, oh, it's full, it's full and it's not full, or it's full, but you, you, know, you keep coming back empty. That's probably more realistic. Uh, here's, here's how we can calibrate our goodness gauge. Listen to and agree with what's good. Listen to the king. Trust him and do what he says. Surround yourself with people that help you 
calibrate to reality. A great way to do that is confess your sin. When you're confessing sin to trusted other brothers and sisters in Christ, you're saying, this is not good. I repent. I move towards what's good. I move towards God. Prayer is a great way to calibrate our goodness. And then think about what's all around you. Songs, movies, TV shows. Think about what they're saying and intentionally engage it. Process your expectations of what the good life is. And I'm going to give us some time uh, to do that now. Uh, We can just talk to God. Talk, Talk to God now about your own expectations and your own ideas of what is good and what is the good life. Jesus, you said that we are blessed in the kingdom. The ones following you as king are the ones who are well off, no matter the circumstances. So help us to be honest with you about what we expect that to look like. Help us learn uh, from you and from your word how to shape our expectations in line with in line with the already not yet nature of the kingdom.